every time, you know, we introduce something new or change, you know, our system a little bit, we need to constantly be evaluating it with equity as a metric um, so that, you know, we're not down the road in a few years wondering, you know, why are disparities that were already there before even wider now. Hi, welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Kat Jersich, Senior Editor at Healthcare IT News, here with Laura Levitt, Managing Editor at Moby Health News, filling in this week for Jonah Comstock. We all know that telehealth has been instrumental in some ways in closing the digital divide in healthcare access, but in other ways, it may have made things worse. Joining us today are Dr. Lauren Eberly, a fellow in cardiovascular medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and Dr. Shri Adesamali, Assistant Chief Medical Information Officer for Connected Health and Assistant Professor of Clinical Medicine, Cardiovascular at Penn Medicine, to discuss the issue. Thank you all for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here, Kat and So we wanted to have you on here today because you both were instrumental in publishing a study uh, in the Journal of the American Medical Association Network Open about how people are using telemedicine and how people are using telehealth, especially um, in the context of COVID-19. Um, this was a very wide-ranging study. I think it was the widest-ranging study of how patients are using telemedicine, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. And so maybe we can just get started with you telling us why you decided to take a look at the characteristics of the people who are pursuing telemedicine access. Yeah, so I think, you know, as we've all seen that really the COVID pandemic has really required our health system to rapidly transition to telemedicine and a completely new healthcare delivery platform. Um, And really, we had to very quickly adapt and figure out ways in which we can utilize telemedicine to reach our patients to still, you know, receive necessary ambulatory care during the pandemic. Um, However, you know, we know, unfortunately, that structural inequities are pervasive here in the United States throughout our healthcare system, and that the digital divide is very real. Um, We know that a lot of our patients from lower income and a lot of our minority patients, you know, have lower rates of access to broadband smartphone-capable devices. And so, you know, as we transitioned, you know, quite abruptly um, to telemedicine care and essentially only telemedicine care for the large majority of our clinics, you know, we really became concerned that given this digital divide, that the use of technology to really maintain outpatient care may actually worsen inequities. And we became really curious about, you know, who are we leaving behind? Who are we reaching? And And that was really the impetus of this study. You know, I think we felt anecdotally that we were worried that a lot of our patients from lower socioeconomic status, a lot of our non-English speaking patients, you know, we were seeing that day in and day out of who was engaging in telemedicine care. And so, you know, we really wanted to test it broadly and, and really have some more objective data so we could appropriately target interventions and make sure that our care was equitable. I'd love to chat a little bit about what those findings were and get into, you know, what were the defining characteristics you were looking at, and then sort of what did that tell you about overall telehealth use? Perfect. So, you know, we we looked at the whole University of Penn Health System as a whole to, to really get a broader look at all ambulatory care, which included primary care and, and specialty care. And this health system is a large health system. It includes, you know, six major referral centers and over 200 clinics, both in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And, you know, we were very interested in answering really two questions. I think the first is, you know, who is completing telemedicine visits um, during this time period? And second, of those who are completing visits, what 
characteristics are associated with video use versus telephone use. And so we chose to look at um, the first two months of our transition to telemedicine care. So we started the study on March um, 16th, which really was after local shelter in place orders were in place here. And our clinics had really exclusively transitioned to telemedicine and looked at that those first two months uh, of that transition period. And like I said, we looked at all patients who were scheduled for a visit, and then we really wanted to see who completed that visit successfully. And of those, what was the modality in which they completed the visit? Um, and so there's about 150 patients that were included in the study that had scheduled visits during that time period I mentioned. Um, and of those, about 54% completed their visits. So I think that in and of itself shows, you know, that uptake was relatively low initially as we were kind of working out the kinks and really developing and adapting our, our telemedicine practice. And then of those who did complete a visit, only 46% were video. So the majority actually was, was, was with telephone. And then when we looked um, at what factors and characteristics were associated with completed visit and, and video visit, we found a lot of inequities, which was, as I mentioned, really the impetus to the study and was definitely what we were worried about. And we found that older patients, Asian patients, patients with Medicaid, and particularly non-English speaking patients had much lower rates of telemedicine utilization for their care. And that older age, female gender, black race, Latinx ethnicity, and lower socioeconomic status, which we use median household income based on zip code were associated independently. So that means, you know, when adjusted for all these other factors, including comorbidities um, with lower utilization of videos. Um, so, you know, we felt that these results were definitely concerning and really call for new implementation of strategies to really ensure more equitable access to telemedicine care and video use for all. Um, I will say that, you know, definitely something positive that, that we did find is that Black patients actually overall had higher completed telemedicine visits for overall and for primary care visits, and Latinx did as well. And I think that um, that shows that while they had lower video use, overall they had higher completed telemedicine use compared to white patients. And so, you know, we do believe that this shows that telemedicine does have this great potential to really be leveraged to increase access to care among patient groups that have you know, traditionally and historically been marginalized and face barriers to in-person care. But I think we really just have to have equity be a priority and a focus and be very intentional um, to ensure that we're not leaving patients behind. I, I completely agree with uh, with Dr. Everly. And, and um, to pick up on the point of intentionally designing our telemedical healthcare system, it really is a uh, an opportunity, uh, I think, to to build a new model and vehicle and channel of care in a equitable way. And I think that was one of our primary motivators is we need data to be able to do that, uh, both where we're starting and then to help guide where where we're going. So, uh, so for example, we use we use this data these data on a local level, for example. Um, to implement a, an intervention where uh, we we have a we we co-developed a software-based solution where an interpreter can join into a video interpreter can join into a video visit basically with one click from a uh, from a clinician uh, indicating which language of interpreter to to join. I might also add that the other um, the other motivation for for conducting this project is advocacy. Um, is to be able to advocate for appropriate, um, uh, both from a, a financial reimbursement perspective, regulatory perspective, 
policies that that prioritize access to care for all all groups of patients because we really want to meet a patient where they're at and we also want to match the channel of care to what they what a particular patient needs clinically so for example if there if there is a visit or a clinical condition where telephone for example is uh, is appropriate for example uh, let's say a, a conversation about a particular topic um, we don't want to penalize practices who are conducted, which are conducting visits with patient on telephone if, that's, uh, if that meets the patient where they're at and meets their clinical need, because that's access to care that otherwise wouldn't have been had. Yeah, and I think that's, that's you know, so crucial is that as we implement strategies to really in- improve equitable access and telemedicine care, just as Sri said, that that was something we really wanted to advocate for is that really through permanent legislative action, we really want to guarantee payment parity for all types of telemedicine visits by all insurance payers um, and guarantee that because um, we don't want to disproportionately and unjustly hurt providers and clinics that care for patients that might have difficulty accessing, you know, care and video, you know, as we develop strategies to really address the inequity simultaneously. I do want to go back a little bit and think about the why. Um, This was one of the first studies that I've read in my reporting coverage that really breaks down that difference in video usage. And I thought it was really fascinating. We've been hearing a lot about how the digital divide is affecting patients' access to telemedicine. But I'm wondering whether either of you could get into the reasons for that, um, for example, that women are less likely to use video for telemedicine or um, that uh, Black and Latinx people, as you mentioned, Lauren, are less likely to use video but are more likely to use telemedicine or to complete appointments overall. Um, what might be some of the reasons for some of those particular patterns, if, if either of you um, would be willing to kind of go into that? Some of it, definitely the lower socioeconomic status. I think the, the Black and Latinx findings are, are, are reflective primarily of the digital divide. And we know those groups, um, based on research, do have lower rates of not only, you know, having the Internet, but, you know, broadband that's capable of conducting these visits as well as computers in the home. Um, We also know that while smartphones might not be that different, that the cell phone plans um, are less reliable and also can prevent, you know, a a reliable connection to the provider. So I think the digital divide is definitely part of it. I think the female piece was was interesting um, and somewhat unexpected. I think we, we know that women have been affected, you know, differently during the pandemic. There's been greater increase in unemployment and, and per- potentially, you know, differential shifting and disproportionate burden of, of child duties and different employment and financial strains and, and whether or not that's, you know, limiting their ability to engage in video visits. And we also found specialty care was lower in females. And so that might be how they're, you know, prioritizing care. Um, but I think, you know, we're not sure. And I think it, it's a great question. And as one of our next steps, uh, we have a lot of qualitative and quantitative research underway to, to really better elucidate to your point, what are the, the barriers? Is it having a is it having a smartphone? Is it having reliable internet? Or is it mistrust? I think that there's definitely groups of people, particularly older patients, that are mistrustful of of being on a video with a doctor and, and privacy concerns. Um, and so what are those exact barriers? And we're gonna use that information to really more appropriately, you know, target and our implementation strategies. Um, but I, I think we more that needs to kind of be uncovered, but I think whether or not 
um, you know, it is access to a device or whether or not it's something else. Um, we are now in the process of learning as providers and really developing our thought process around telemedicine care. And I think we're learning by the day that there are many things which patients can get just as good clinical care by staying at home. And there are patients where it is hard to come to clinic and not even if they're rural, but the cost, you know, of taking multiple buses, missing work, finding childcare, especially for our more marginalized patients that maybe for, you know, a, a routine checkup or blood pressure check, if we can provide them with a blood pressure cuff and have a phone visit or video visit, that maybe they don't need to come all the way to, to the hospital. And I think we're really learning and it's definitely specialty specific and provider specific and patient specific, but we're really learning where might we be able to decentralize our care a little bit to the home and allow telemedicine to really be leveraged, as I mentioned, to improve access to patients who might have trouble making it to the clinic. I know Sri has some thoughts, though, on this, too. Yeah, I would agree with Dr. Eberly. I think that a lot of the uh, the rural uh, pieces are uh, uh, an application of, of telehealth uh, will uh, continue to be quite important. But, and, and I think a part of that is also driven by our reimbursement environment uh, as well. But moving forward, I think that, uh, that as hopefully we and other systems and the healthcare system in this country in general has illustrated that there, there are a lot of applications outside, including, but then also outside of rural areas um, for, for telemedical care. And so a lot of what I think our work is focusing on now is, is really fleshing out, you know, we want to be able to offer the right channel of care for the clinical care that a patient needs. So how do we determine what conditions are, are uh, appropriate from a clinical standpoint to, uh, to deliver that care uh, for a te- telemedical way of interacting? And, um, and, and that's specialty dependent, right? That's... Uh, and so uh, we're in a process, for example, of going specialty by specialty and really thinking through how, what, what are guidelines around um, what particular clinical conditions on a specialty basis. And some specialties, it's everything. Uh, and, and in some specialties, it may be much less uh, uh, are appropriate for telemedical care. And then what, once that's available, I think making that computable. So, for example, being able to incorporate in scheduling algorithms and uh, and portals where where or outside of portals where folks can self schedule, sort of bar- borrowing techniques from from other industries, um, I think will be will be important as well. And then, you know, once we match that where the patient is at with with the needs of fr- uh, with what their needs are from a clinical perspective, I think it's also important to address the the other barriers. Meaning that if a patient can't then uh, 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 access care via this medium, what, what are those other barriers uh, to Dr. Deverly's earlier points? Uh, and what are those other drivers of the digital divide? Is it the lack of a device? Is it, the, the, is it um, areas where we can improve with regards to digital literacy? Is it broadband? Is it the need for sort of more universal broadband availability, whether that's wireline or wireless? How do we care for sort of thinking more broadly in terms of populations of patients, populations of patients in this way across the course of disease? So how, how do we bring in some of the pre-visit work, uh, for example, incorporating more, let's say, questionnaires and data from digital health devices? And then how do we continue to engage with patients in care post-visit? Um, so it's not only limited to that, you know, 
30 minutes or an hour that we're spending face-to-face, but more so the, the care of a disease as a, or a population of patients as a whole. That actually feeds really beautifully into my next question, um, which is what are some of the effects of this unequal access to virtual care, whether it's that sort of what we might think of as traditional telemedicine, which is the synchronous video, or for example, if a patient is not able to uh, access those remote monitoring tools, or if those remote monitoring tools uh, are not easy for them to use, or if they don't connect to the internet. Um, What are some of the consequences of this? Uh, There might be some obvious ones, you know, in the shorter term, but are there any kind of longer term consequences on advocacy or not having patient data um, or on that population-wide health that you just mentioned, in addition to kind of the individual access to care issues? Yeah, I think we worry, as you say, on the short term, and we've, you know, seen it daily, that you know, these patients who are left behind and not engaging in care are showing up, you know, in our emergency departments very sick, um, you know, in worst case scenarios because they've missed, you know, routine and important care. And I think in the long term and thinking about populations and, again, kind of one of the initial reasons to conduct a study is we worry about worsening disparities in outcomes with, you know, for us, we're cardiologists and worry about, you know, worsening already well-established disparities in outcomes um, in in cardiovascular disease, but, you know, with all of the specialties involved. And so, like I said, I think it it really gives us this unique opportunity where, you know, if we don't address this now and, you know, it's it's early, we're really developing and refining this telemedicine practice, but that's why, you know, we think it'll be here to stay long after, you know, the pandemic. And so we really got to get it right now, especially when it comes to equity, because, I worry, just as you said, you know, we know that new technology is adopted slower and minority patients and patients of lower um, income. And so every time, you know, we introduce something new or change, you know, our system a little bit, we need to constantly be evaluating it with equity as a metric um, so that, you know, we're not down the road in a few years wondering, you know, why are disparities that were already there before even wider now? And I think we have the opportunity to really lessen those disparities, as, as we mentioned. Yeah. And I mean, what have you found so far what's working in order to engage different communities? And, you know, have you seen any wins over the last year? What do you hope to see in the future? Yeah, I think as Sri mentioned, you know, this one-click integration of translation services has actually, you know, that was a response to seeing that, you know, non-English speaking patients had, you know, almost a 20% lower likelihood of completing a, a visit. And so that was one of our responses is to have more seamless integration of of translation services. And we've seen that it's actually made care um, for many of my patients that don't speak English. They're very pleased with that. And they actually will have, you know, their whole families join in with a translator and it really can be more involved care. Um, I think we're hopeful also for rethinking strategies to deliver care. Like we mentioned before, do we need to have a patient that already has trouble making it here come to five different doctors or is there a way to have us all in the same virtual room at the same time potentially um, in the future to really make care more efficient, uh, especially for patients who are high risk. Um, And so I think we've seen also, you know, patients that have adopted telemedicine and I've had patients who, you know, can never make it to an appointment and I've had video visits and phone visits with them and their families, and um, it's been rewarding to, you know, get to know other family members that usually can't make it to clinic and to have a little bit of that more personal connection, having a video visit in their home. But 
I think we've also seen a lot of patients who it's easier just to sit and, and talk on the phone and they're more engaged in care and they, you know, go get their blood pressure cuff and I, you know, walk them through checking it and now they're sending me their blood pressures and are overall more engaged in care. So I think we're definitely very hopeful for, for the potentials of telemedicine. And I think, you know, part of it is on the health system side. Part of it is now there are a number of telemedical, both telemedical and digital health uh, platform vendors. Uh, and, um, and it's imperative that as these platforms are being developed, that the, that the mindset of usability and accessibility um, for, uh, of the technology is, is, is foundational and that, uh, that equity and access is foundational as the, uh, as the technology itself. So not only our processes that we're layer, layering on top of the technology, but the, but the tech and the platform themselves are built in that way. So for example, to enable easier uh, joining of translators or translation of messages that might be sent uh, back and forth for, uh, as, as another example, um, or even educational materials. Uh, so so all, all of this is, uh, is part of, um, I, I think you consider that part of advocacy, except a different kind of advocacy towards, uh, towards our vendor partners. Definitely. And before we wrap up, I, I do want to return to the notion of policies and advocacy. Um, what are some ways that you both see leaders and policymakers, both at the vendor level, um, at the local level, state, federal, um, what are some ways that uh, policymakers and decision makers can push to address this unequal telemedicine uptake and to really think again um toward a more holistic, longitudinal uh, lens of remote care and telemedicine? So I think that, um, that there are a couple of things. One is, um, is the, the reimbursement and uh, coverage environment surrounding, as I think uh, we're all aware, uh, telehealth is very uncertain uh, at, the, at the moment. But we've seen, uh, despite that, you know, now almost approaching, I guess, almost a year, the year mark of, uh, of delivering a significant proportion of our care around the country via telemedicine that can be an effective way to maintain access to care. So um, uh, lay, laying a stronger, stronger foundation or advocating for a stronger foundation of coverage of this type of care going forward uh, would be quite helpful in helping systems and providers and practices plan for, for and continue to iterate and continuously improve quality of this, uh, of this type of care. I think um, uh, parts of this, uh, for example, uh, managing populations of patients falls well into value-based uh, care, care models. So I think those are, those are, uh, are, are nice pairings, particularly as we're thinking about improving the quality of care and reducing the overall cost, total cost of care over either an episode or over the course of, uh, of a disease process. Um, so, uh, so as our system in general, I think continues to, to move in that, in that direction, I think telemedic telemedical care and digital, digital health tools will fit, will fit right in. Um, I think from a vendor uh, perspective, this is a pretty rapidly developing space, right? We're having um, over the, the course of the year has been a rapid period of evolution, and I think it'll continue to be that way. So having vendor partners who can continue to develop alongside with us and take feedback directly from our patients with regards to accessibility, usability of, uh, of products and platforms, and then iterate on changes 
and then allow us to have uh, the, uh, or partner with us really, to have the analytics able to, our changes, our improvements, making a true difference, uh, I think will also be, will also be key. Um, I think, uh, in, 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 and, and again, back to this, this view of uh, uh, this idea of evaluation that um, one of the other aspects from a, a much broader sort of policy, policy lens um, we've seen is, is around access to, uh, to broadband, for example. Um, so uh, making it a priority for universal broadband and, and uh, increasing connectivity for all, again, whether that's wireline or wireless is particularly potentially with the potential of 5G and other modalities of connecting, uh, supporting that will be important from an from a advocacy perspective. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today on HIMSCast. This has been a wonderful conversation and um, it's been great talking about your study and we really look forward to hearing more um, from your team. And um, for all the listeners, thanks so much for uh, listening to HIMSCast and don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Stay safe out there, everybody.